It's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 183. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening to you all. It's Tuesday the 25th of July. I'm Ronan Berry and let's take care of business here on Midlands 103. Coming up over the next hour, the Small Firms Association estimate that the rollout of things like the auto-enrolment of pensions, the living wage, statutory sick pay and all the relief proposals could add up to 9% to the average labour costs in Ireland over the next decade. Director David Broderick of the SFA will be along to outline how the association can help your business to their Mentors Work Business Support Programme. Also, I'll explore engagement in the workplace with Theresa Hand Campbell of THC Consult and look at the factors that can facilitate or indeed impede workforce engagement. If you're not sure what workforce engagement is, tune in around quarter past seven to find out all about that. Also, Offaly's Barry McLaughlin from the communications clinic, that well-known company up in Dublin, would put forward ideas on how the Eroctus Committee's system can be improved. Now, lots of us were fixing on it for a number of weeks there as uh, certain public and some sort of you know, almost public figures appeared before it and actually one thing that really jumped out was the quality and maybe lack of quality sometimes of questioning put forward by let's be honest untrained individuals in that in that field in general so Barry will talk about how that can be improved and indeed how us the paying public can effectively get a better value for money from it as well that and a lot more news updates coming out across the evening if you want to be part of the conversation this evening please do so by text or whatsapp on 083 103 powered by home of Offaly's top selling car brand Lambrothers Toyota on the Arden Road in Tullamore but first um, it's hard to believe it is less than two weeks away after the success of last year's event, the Flacule is about to return to Mullingar. Preparations have been underway for quite a while. Now, you would have heard in Midlands today, earlier this morning, that there is still a little outstanding sum of about 400,000 due from Westmead County Council to the FLA committee. And uh, Will Faulkner spoke to some people about that earlier today. And hopefully that will all be resolved in time because it is a major event. And to try and get an, ex- uh, uh, you know, an idea of the impact and the economic benefit of it, you know, in the Mullingar and indeed surrounding regions. I'd like to be joined now by John Gagan. John, of course, is the former president of Mullingar Chamber and he's now basically their investment development lead. John, I know preparations are well underway. The, tra- the town has been transformed again. What's taken, what's what's happening there in Mullingar as we speak today? Good evening, Roland, and many thanks for having me on. Um, look, the town is a hive of activity as we stand. Def, the organisers of the flower are getting everything ready to be set up in the town, like the gig rig and the various layouts to the car park and traffic. And the businesses on the streets are in the middle of an incredible overhaul. Nearly every shop front in the town has been done up or is being done up over the last three or four weeks and over the coming days before the flat. The place is absolutely hopping. A standout feature really of last year's event was the sheer number of outlets, both, you know, pubs and restaurants, even shops as well, that had a, an open window, like a hatch to serve customers as well. Um, I assume that's going to continue. Are we seeing even more businesses get on board this year? Absolutely. I mean, some of the businesses that did the hatch approach last year did really, really well. And other businesses that mightn't have done it, I think are going to consider it this year or are doing it. It's hard to see right now what various people are doing and some people are keeping their cars close to their chest before it kicks off. But 
I'd say we're safe to say this will be record numbers again. Huge success for Mullingar. Yeah, I think they're expecting over half a million visitors, which for a single event to bring those people into a town over the course of a week is, is quite staggering, really. And it just, it really re-emphasises that thing of the Midlands being probably Ireland's greatest uh, location for events. I think this year we're going to be possibly one of the busiest locations in Europe in terms of visitors coming in. The Flag course probably been one of the standouts there. Is there anything different happening this year? Do you know, have businesses looked at how they approach it last year? Have they adopted for this year? Or is it pretty much eat, sleep, repeat? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, certain pubs, I think, are taking a slightly different approach. To I think this year they'll have musicians in the, inside the pub from early on in the week because they know last year that brings a bigger flow of people into the pubs. Last year, it was slower to take off as such and there were probably less musicians in the early part of the week. But I think this year you could see an awful lot more musicians. And I certainly think among the local population of, let's say, 40,000 people, the vast majority of those who would normally be on holidays are actually going to stick around this year. So that's probably an extra 10,000, 20,000 people coming to the flat, which should bring it well over half a million people in the course of eight days, which is just absolutely exceptional. From the Chamber's perspective, and I guess from a business perspective too, do we have an idea of how much economic activity it generates, both for the town and indeed the surrounding region? We do. Look, there's varying numbers being floated around, but... From our point of view as a chamber and, and from dealing with the organisers of the FLA, we estimate well in excess of a half a million people. And, and we know from footfall counters that we had installed last year that it looks closer to 700,000 people. But you need to net out what traffic would normally be in the town in any given day. So you've probably got 20,000 people a day for seven days, which is 150,000 or so. And if you net that off, you're looking at 550,000 new people coming in. If you presume every person spends, you know, four or five hundred euros you know, over the course of the week, God only knows what this is worth. We estimate 50, 60 million euros to the local economy. Wow, that's, that's, that is huge as well. And I suppose, I guess, as you go around the region to hotels, B&Bs, guest house, probably booked up for, for many, many miles around, even to surrounding counties. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't get a room within maybe 20 kilometres of here, 30 kilometres of here for the week at the flat. And um, it, it's brilliant to see it. It's it just such a brilliant community comes with it. Like the guards do a great job of policing the town. The council are out. I see them here today, power washing the town from one end to the other. Like it, it's just a hive of activity and everyone's getting lined up for this. It really will be exceptional. All The only loose end left really seems to be the weather. The weather and possibly the funding, but I'm assuming that's going to be brought home before the event begins anyway. I know that uh, both Willie Kinnear, I think, or Joe Kinnear and uh, Dennis Leonard around with Will Faulkner earlier this morning speaking about that. But uh, I guess all will be, we can just expect all will be uh, brought in place there. And I think, yeah, I think to be fair to the council that the funding is, 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 is agreed now and will be paid before the event. So it's, I think it's €400,000 out of the council budget, you know, which sounds like a lot of money, but when you consider the economic impact this has on the town in the region of 50 million, you know, it's, it's absolutely exceptional. Well, I'd say there's not too many other events or indeed projects that if you committed 400,000 to, and to get the return that you're likely to get from it, I think there's not too many out there that would give us good return on value. John, no doubt you'll be have the dancing shoes on and you'll be, you'll be uh, listening to Manny's a tune over the weeks of the FLA. Um, any, any particular plans this year? This year, I'm looking forward to going to the awards dinner in, in the Bloomfield on the middle of the week where they, they have a lovely sit-down meal and, and you get to hear some very serious Irish music live. It's, it's one of the best events I've ever been to last year. And uh, my plan is just to make it kind of sociable, 
meet people by arrangement in around town over the course of the week and we have a couple of companies we deal with where we're bringing people out for you know walk and talk and we're hoping to have some guests from Dublin down during the week and uh, a bit of crack should be brilliant well, absolutely that, can't wait uh, I think there's nothing sure anyway looking forward to it again and look at John we might see you over there someday John Gagan thanks a million thanks Ronan take care there you go the flat Hole is taking place from the 6th to the 14th of August in Mullingar they are ideally situated well prepared for it and as John says some of the businesses probably keep in their, their powder dry and exactly what they're going to do in terms of making it an even bigger celebration than it was last year it's definitely worth checking out if you weren't there last year go to it it's it's something unique it's definitely one of those it's a bit like the Ireland Hurling final last Sunday it's unique it's a uniquely Irish thing it's worth checking out as well and Mullingar really will roll out that red carpet for, for everybody still to come on taking care of business we'll have some ideas on how to improve the Oireachtas committee system that has come under increased pressure and scrutiny during recent hearings and not just for the people attending but indeed scrutiny on the people asking the questions and the types and style of questions being asked also we'll be talking to the uh, a director from the small firms association around the rising cost of doing business and I'm not just talking energy and all those costs I'm actually the cost of hiring people and having employees now because with all new entitlements and holiday leave and auto enrolment of pensions as well it is putting a significant cost back on the employer so much so that they estimated to be up in the region of a potentially 9% within the next decade as well the SFA do have a number of initiatives and indeed a mentors work program that is aimed specifically at you the business owners in order to help you mitigate all these new challenges and new laws and legislation items that are coming your way so stay tuned for that around half past seven this evening but before that I'm delighted again to be joined for this month's edition of um, what's become a running feature as well with Theresa Hand Campbell Theresa of course is like a workplace leadership architect she's an All-Ireland Business Foundation Business All-Star Organisational Psychology Visionary of the Year for 2023 and Theresa has spoken to us on lots of things workplace leadership and um, employee development Today we're going to focus on employee engagement. It's likely a term that many of you are familiar with. How it applies to your business, though, I suppose, is a big question this evening. But begin, Teresa, you're very welcome. When we talk about things like employee engagement, what are we referring to directly? I suppose the the definition of engagement, the textbook definition, would be the moments in which people bring themselves into or remove themselves from particular task behaviours. So um, various theorists over the over the decades have done a lot of work on this, and we've all heard of the Gallup employee engagement uh, work, and it, it, it has gone on for more than 30 years, and it's an, an investigation into the behavioural economic research involving more than 17 million employees. Um, in a nutshell, they would find that one third of the world's working population are actually engaged and engaged in varying degrees, which leaves two thirds disengaged, actively disengaged in the workplace, which is a shocking figure, really. And if we look at that one third of people who Gallup claim are engaged, is that being highly productive or is that even is, is that in itself a bit of an overstatement? There are many, many facets to it. In my own research, I used the Utrecht engagement model, and I looked at engagement across vigor, dedication, and absorption. But we always have to take the results of these types of inventories with a pinch of salt, because people are doing self-report, and they, they obviously want to come across and bring themselves across in a very positive light. But I came across a very, very interesting Gallup employee 
uh, engagement survey. And if you listen, and if your listeners listen to these 12 questions and score themselves as to how, how they, how, where they, whether they answer yes or no to these questions, this will give you a flavour of what engagement is about. One, do you know what is expected of you at work? Two, do you have the materials and equipment to do your work properly? Three, at work, do you have the opportunity to do what you do best every day? Four, in the last seven days, have you received recognition or praise for doing good work? Five, does your supervisor or someone at work seem to care about you as a person? Six, is there someone at work who encourages your development? Seven, at work, do your opinions seem to count? Eight, does the mission and purpose of your company, your work organization, make you feel your job is important? And obviously your, your input is important. Nine, are your associates or your colleagues committed to doing quality work? Ten, do you have a best friend at work? Eleven, in the last six months, has someone at work talked to you about your progress? And finally, in the last year, have you had opportunities to learn and grow? So if you look at the thread running through these 12 questions, it hints at a multifaceted type of phenomenon, engagement, what's conducive to engagement in the workplace. Are those particular surveys, are they as effective with a small, even a micro company as they might be with a large multinational or are they normed generally on quite large companies? They'll be absolutely very effective, very effective. And that would give a very, I think it would not alone give a very good, strong indicator, but it would make people sit up and and think, wow, have have I ever even thought in this way before in relation to my my work and then in relation to maybe why I might be just shutting down and um, tattooing and and not really engaged anymore. There are several requirements for engagement that uh, are very, very important, like that sense of accomplishment. We all need to feel that we are going somewhere and that we're achieving. There were two guys, Desi and Ryan, who wrote extensively about self-determination theory, which they tried to establish the driving forces at the root of human motivation. So they defined competence as the extent to which we feel capable in our interactions in the world. So if we're given our head in the workplace, for instance, and we're allowed in on decision-making and we feel important, we're far more likely to give it our all. Whereas if we're not listened to, if we don't feel that our work has been um, recognised, we obviously shut down. And those three levels of engagement you refer to, both engaged, actively engaged and actively disengaged, or sorry, engaged, Mm -hmm. disengaged and actively disengaged. And Mm -hmm. I think often, I know from reading certain surveys over the years, people are usually quite shocked by the amount of employees in a typical organisation who are actively disengaged. What do we mean by that? And what are the main factors maybe that would cause somebody to be actively disengaged? I mean, is it something they come into a company with and therefore that's just their characteristics? Or can it also be, can, can that be improved and indeed and, and turn those rates from disengaged employees back into more actively engaged people? I suppose we go back to the root of organisational psychology now as a discipline. We're always talking about fitting 
the men to the job and fitting the job to the man. So the person job fit on the outset is so important. So the whole recruitment process and getting the right person into the right job is obviously fundamental from the word go. Then it's about catching the talents of your workers, doing that talent audit, doing a, a training needs analysis within your company, fitting the task, the, the talent and the task, getting people working on what they, in the area that they're really good at. And that's when people will shine. But it, and lots of things like creating a safe work environment, asking people for their opinion, a lot of it tied in as well with the leadership style, the culture of the workplace. And I'm a firm believer in leaders' own self-development and their own CPD to remain abreast of developments and of what's required with each of the generations that you may have working in your organization. Gen Z may have a totally different outlook and different requirements to a baby boomers who have been with the company for years and maybe are going to retire in five years' time. So it's getting the intergenerational learning going in the workplace, co-creating a great place to work, all of this, but it's heightening awareness. And it's all about relationship, obviously. It's all about trust. Are actively disengaged employees not just stealing from the company? They are, but it, it, that's one way of looking at it. You've got the, you've got the, the time thieves. You've got the, the people who are just uh, punching in and, and not giving to the company. Um, conscience and uh, work ethic and all of these things that certain former generations would hold dear may be shifting. And, and also, we must be aware that uh, uh, the incoming Gen Z are far more likely to up and leave and dismiss themselves from a situation that they're not engaged in. And that's becoming more and more a facet, particularly post-COVID. Where if they're, they're not interested, they realize it on time, they're no longer willing to be tied in a job that they're not interested in, so they self-eliminate. So that perhaps is, is a, a development that wasn't seen in the past. If we were to look at a typical company, maybe around the Midlands, 20 to 50 employees, and they wanted to look at their engagement levels and indeed increase or improve them, what kind of simple steps can they take? Well, there's, I, I often refer to the progress principle by a, 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 a two researchers, Amabile and Kramer. And they say that there are four simple things you can do to help employees feel a regular sense of accomplishment and the aligned engagement that goes with it. Setting clear goals and objectives. Workers know what's expected from them and they work towards it. Providing appropriate resources. So it's one thing trying to get the job done, but if the resourcing is deficient, that is very often cited as a point in which people just disengage. It's impossible to do this. Allowing ample time for the completion of a task and also learning from failure. The, the, the notion of becoming discouraged early because of failure, it's a cultural thing, I think, in many ways. In America, it would appear that you have to fail many times before you actually are recognized as a success, ultimately. But um, in Ireland, I think if you fail, you tend to get stuck in that mode of failure. And it depends, on, obviously, on resilience levels, etc. 
as to whether you get up and go again. Autonomy, how much autonomy have you in the workplace? Autonomy is fierce important. Having a sense of control in our lives, it's a fundamental human need. So being listened to, being given a certain amount of room for movement in the workplace, and that thing of, of uh, feeling like you, ha- you have something significant to offer and that you're being allowed to use your talent and grow within the organization. It's a big one. You know, how, yeah, that's <laughs> Yo, how that... we work, when we work, where we work, all of these things are important contributors to that sense of autonomy. And so many shifting factors out there too. But I think one thing that has remained relatively, I say fixed, is that whole area of disengaged employees. And I think the one message for companies today would be to to look at that, find a way even through somebody like yourself mm-hmm. of assessing those engagement levels. Because mm-hmm. if you can improve those, you can improve the rates of staff retention. You can have a happier workforce and hopefully mm-hmm. everybody benefits then. Yeah, you might remember from week one, we talked about the, the Hawthorne studies. That whole notion of environment, the workplace ergonomics, you know, um, if you have a well-designed environment, it can have further uh, far-reaching psychological effects. So a great office space with luxuries and perks and all of that can make an employee feel valued. Uh, A deficient work environment in terms of resourcing, etc., can make a worker withdraw. In, in terms of not feeling that they're they're valued. So I'm sure if I put it out to the listeners there too, we'd get lots of texts with kind of almost horror stories of, of bad conditions people had to work in too. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to be conducive to a, a highly engaged workforce as well. Mm-hmm. Teresa, it has been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for coming. And again, these segments sure. fly past. So you'll be back with us in August again for, for another round of this. But for now, Teresa Han Campbell, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you later in August. Hello. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lovely speaking to you. Bye-bye. So now, if you haven't thought about are your staff engaged, uh, hopefully that kind of maybe gets something going in your head and you can think, well, maybe that's something I need to look into as well because believe it or not, those those figures from various surveys around the amount of employees who are actively disengaged in the workplace is quite staggering. And as I kind of alluded there, it's almost like stealing, is it, in the workplace? Let me know. 83 103 by text or WhatsApp. Let me know your thoughts on that. Still to come on taking care of business, we'll have some suggestions on how the Oireachtas committee system can be improved, in particular the way questions are asked, are, uh, particularly towards public witnesses or indeed members of the public or whatever people are in in front of the various committees too. Offaly man Barry McLaughlin from the Communications Clinic will be along to uh, discuss that. They have some really interesting angles on that one. But before that, as many of you, as small business owners, will be aware, the cost of doing business seems to be continuously on the rise. Things seem to go up and not come down as quick. Even talking to a business owner today about paper costs, they were saying how the cost went through the roof a number about two years ago. And even though I think globally the cost has come down a little bit, they're not seeing that just yet. And that seems to apply to a lot of different factors when it comes to your business. But also, the cost of having employees is continuously on the rise. Last week we heard of recommendations about the living wage, but also couple that with things like auto-enrollment of pensions, additional leave entitlements for employees, all of which is coming in at a rapid pace for businesses. And employment law generally hadn't changed as much in the country, only did so every 20, 30 years. It seems to be happening every 20, 30 days at this point. But to find out more about it and the impact it might have on small businesses, and indeed how you can kind of go about mitigating these these challenges, I'm very bit down by David Broderick. And David is the director of the Small Firms Association. They are the voice of small businesses in Ireland. Uh, David, good evening. You're very welcome to Taking Care of Business. 
Evening, Roland. Thanks for having me on. David, give us a paint us a picture as well. You've surveyed and indeed looked at these challenges, and you've kind of estimated some of the figures and the cost that it might, you know, put on Irish on Irish companies, particularly the average cost of having employees. Can you take us through some of your findings and and uh, what the kind of real standout points were? Sure. Um, I think firstly to set the scene, I suppose the two most valuable assets a small business owner has is money or cash and time. And when you look at the change in regulation environment at the moment, I suppose it's the time element that's causing major constraints and it's putting small firms under huge, huge pressure. If you think about it, Roland, they feel like they're getting it from every angle. They survived COVID, they bounced into an energy crisis. And for those that are still surviving, they now have this raft of regulation and changes. You've got statutory sick pay, which came in on January 1st. You've got a new public holiday. And as you mentioned there in the opening, auto-enrollment is coming down the line as well. So I think it's important to remember that when you look at a small business, so I represent businesses with 50 employees or less, it's the time that it takes to implement these regulations that really, really put companies under pressure. Because if you're dealing with a managing director in a small business, as opposed to a large firm, they are the human resource director, they are the sales director, and they are the people who have to implement this change. So a constant change in regulatory burden is very difficult on them. And I suppose our our research would show that for every one euro, I suppose, it takes for a large company. So if a large company is implementing a regulation, it would cost one euro per employee. For a small business, that's 10 euros per employee. So that's a huge jump and a huge strain on business. I think one, I know myself speaking to many businesses around the Midlands even, but on the show and, and general day-to-day work that I do, that there are concerns about that, that each time a new piece of legislation is either proposed or it goes through build stage, it's all like, how are we going to afford to pay for this? Ye estimate it could be, it could add up to 9% of the average labour costs. I mean, again, huge concerns for people. <clears throat> Absolutely. Your businesses that are listening there locally, if you think of their already razor tight margins on top of the energy costs that they have, this is going to be an added cost that's eating into their margins. And they're trying to keep customers, they're trying to keep staff, so they don't really have anywhere else to go to make that money back. So it's an incredibly difficult time for them, incredibly difficult. And of course, that whole area then of, of trying to both attract people to your business or retain existing talent as well. Are you finding members are, are struggling with that, never mind the potential cost of, of having people and hiring people, but actually finding and keeping them in the first place? Absolutely. Well, I, I think I think when you look at, you know, once again, an effect of COVID, hybrid working is here to stay. In most cases, it's a good thing. But if you look at it from the point of view of a small business owner, they're trying to walk this thin line of trying to create a good environment like your previous speaker was talking about there, actually, in terms of, of making a good working environment for the employee was also balancing running a business on the tight margins I said and it's becoming more and more difficult and harder to fill those places and things that are happening now Ronan on top of everything else you're finding not only can they not attract the talent but when they do go through the process and they they, they go through an interview process I'm talking to some small business owners that the person doesn't show up on a Monday morning so can you imagine the effect that that has on their business in the time that they've expended already to attract the talent that because there's such a, a, a war for talent at the moment that these people just aren't showing up and the effect that that ha- has on their business. And the knock-on effect there is, Ronan, that you have the business owners 
instead of looking at their growth and their plans, they're now the ones who are having to get back on on the workshop floor. They're having the ones having to go out and drive the vans and pack the orders and do all those sort of things. So this is a much bigger problem for the economy in general, as well as a constant headache for the small small business owner. Do you have any idea of how prepared uh, small businesses would consider themselves for all these changes that are coming in? Well, I suppose my members, of course, have the Small Firms Association and we're there as their trusted advisor, as a resource in terms of whether that be through our online support for HR, through the webinars that we run, um, or our phone service in terms of, of HR support. Things. So there are things like that. You also have some great programs out there, things like Mentors Work. You've got your local enterprise offices, those who are big enough for Enterprise Ireland as well. I always say that business leadership is a very, very lonely place, Ronan. So it's important that they know where to access these things and go and access them. Make the time. I know it's difficult, but make the time to reach out and get the support where they're available. The Mentors Work Programme in particular is one that I think you've proven to be very successful already. And again, as you said, just to make that time to get kind of peer advice, to get, you know, see what others have done in terms of mitigating all these various new challenges and new changes that come up as well. Tell us more about Mentors Work. Um, what, uh, you know, who's it typically aimed at and, and what are the objectives mm-hmm. of it? So Mentors Work is run uh, with the Small Firms Association in collaboration with Skillnet Ireland. It's an extremely successful programme. We've had about 1,500 participants through the programme. Um, the best thing about this, I find, and I know you have a history in the, in the uh, mentoring and consultancy space yourself, this is real hands-on practical experience that's tailored for your business. Although we've had 1,600 companies through it, each company will say that they received a tailored experience for themselves. So you would go on to mentorswork.ie, you would um, just fill in a very small, simple application form there, and then you go through the process of it. It's a 12-week business support program. It provides you with one-to-one mentoring sessions, unlimited access to workshops, um, expert-led master classes. Again, I can't get across the tailored element of it, that whatever the issue that your particular business is struggling with, it's it's it will provide you with guidance and support through that. And as I said in the beginning, it is a lonely place for businesses. So please reach out and, and, and have that help and have that support because it pays dividends within within um, your organization. Of course, like if people don't react, you know, and we're back to that old adage of, you know, it's, it's, it's so important to work on the business as opposed to just in the business too. But if, if companies don't, I suppose, take heed of all this advice and take note of what they need to do as well, the, the future is potentially um, very, very challenging for them. I think it's not an understatement to say if you the, the regulations that we changed at the that, that looked that came in at the moment, as well as, as the proposal now for the national um, minimum wage are going in. I don't think it's it's soft to say that there we are potentially looking at small, small businesses um, closing. Unfortunately, further down the line, and this would be an absolute tragedy given to what they give to every town and village in Ireland. Um, I, and I don't think it's an, an understatement to say that those who have survived are scrimping to make end, ends meet. So it's important that we go out and support those particular businesses in whatever fashion we can.
And, and, and the figures you gave earlier of basically one euro per employee for a large organisation to bring in mm-hmm. these new changes for a, a comparative of 10 euros for a small business. I mean, that is absolutely mm-hmm. game changing there. And you can understand how it will put yeah. a huge amount of pressure on that system as well. And, and we see it around the Midlands yeah. here. I'm sure in all towns, small businesses, you know, that have been on the high street for many years closing down as well. From the SFA's perspective, yeah. though, um, and I'm going to aim this, I suppose, all business organisations out there. What I do notice is we don't see much resistance to a lot of these new changes coming in. And this has been acceptance that look at this is the way the world is going and Ireland has been a leader in so many initiatives both in you know in health in in sustainability we are kind of almost becoming that 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 standard bearer globally as well do you ever come across any resistance from businesses to these new proposed legislations that you know this is too much and this is going to put us under we certainly do and I would say that a lot of this was taken as a given and we do have that culture of put the shoulder to the wheel but I do feel we are at breaking point Roland uh, in our budget submission that we put in this year from the Small Firms Association, I mean, the first three lines of it, we're asking the government to tackle the increasing costs in business. Um, we need to look at the tax system in, toward, in, terms of, in terms of rewarding and retaining talent uh, and talent, and help small businesses wherever we can. The, the Environment Initiative, again, it comes back to time and money. So the small businesses I speak to every day are aware of the targets that we all have to achieve, and they do want to support and 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 drive that forward. But again, we need to be able to help them in terms of the cost of that and supporting the cost of that change, and then the 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 um, expertise I suppose that's needed for that. We mentioned mentors work, but as part of the alumni of that program, there's also a consultancy piece that goes right up the chain then where when you're finished with mentors work um, uh, mentoring you can avail of 70% funded from a consultant and those consultants look at the digital transformation of your business or the green economy element of that and they'll come in and help you and adopt help you and adopt your business to help you on that progress path and obviously those two areas, digitalization and the green economy are, you know, it's, it's forever been spoken yeah. about in this program too. They are absolutely critical for any company to remain, mm-hmm. to, to retain competitive advantage going forward. David, it's fantastic to hear about the work the SFA is doing. Again, mentorswork.ie for anybody who would like to check that out as well. Or you can find out more about the SFA in general from their website, which is written somewhere in front of me, but uh, it's www.sfa.ie. There you go. David Broderick, thank you so much for that this evening. I think a lot of business will be rest a little bit you know rest assured knowing that there are supports there too and undoubtedly people would like to get involved but uh, david thank you i look forward to speaking to you again shortly thanks very much Ronald. david broderick there is the director of the small firms association as you say sfa.ie check out there because there could be something in that for your business and indeed help you mitigate some of those changes that are coming in uh, particularly employment law changes and changes in, in rates of pay and even things like the living wage which is really gaining you know making a lot of noise at the minute and again all of which will put pressure back on our small businesses david paints that picture there and uh, talks about the potential reality of what could happen if more isn't done worry that has kind of gone out of the headlines although not fully as well and it means once everything that's happening in the world the whole story of rte and the expenses and the way money was being handled and people are being paid like it caught our attention for over a month i think seldom has a story stayed in the headlines as much as it did one huge facet of that was the Oireachtas committees and many of you were probably aware of things like the PAC and the various arts culture media committees but maybe had never actually watched or engaged with what they actually do and then we got a number of weeks of it and it was almost a sense of entitlement your pubs were opening especially to show the, the appearance of Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly in front of the various committees too. But actually, 
behind the scenes, a lot of people were commenting on that it's not quite a flawless system by any means. And actually, if some of the flaws aren't addressed, it would probably or potentially undermine the reputation and effectiveness of these very committees. And this is based on a piece of information that came to me recently from the communications clinic up in Dublin, of course, originally founded by Tom Savage and Terry Prone. But Barry McLaughlin from Tubber is a senior consultant there. Barry's in the studio with me now. Barry, you're very welcome to taking care of business. Barry, you put this press release together. You and obviously saw these potential flaws as well. What, what kind of came to mind as you watched the proceedings in your Oireachtas committees? Thanks, Ronald. I think the first thing is that when you, you watch a, a, a Oireachtas hearing and people around you are shouting better questions at the television than the politicians, I think that's when you realise you have a problem. And I think one of the things that, that actually was very striking was that there was such inconsistency in the performance of different politicians. I'm not going to name any because I think people knew who did really well and people who didn't do very well. And if you think about it, the job of the committee was in a limited space of time to get as much information as possible from the witnesses. And one of the things that was very interesting that both committees and members of both committees lamented afterwards that the issue raised more questions than answers. And I think for a lot of them, that's kind of their fault because they either repeated questions, they didn't want to ask a question, they had a lot of things they wanted to say. A few of them had their minds made up already and a couple of them wanted to get really, really angry and let everyone know just how angry they were without actually putting any pertinent questions to the witness. And it's really wasting valuable time and indeed yes. expensive times from a taxpayer's perspective. I think a lot of business people will, will probably be quite irked by all that as well because they've probably sat in various hearings, maybe even dis- disciplinary grievance hearings, where there's clear guidelines on what you can do, what you can ask. You know, if we take it into more of a legal setting, there's like absolute limitations on what can be asked too. So the fact that politicians are probably untrained in this, is that the main issue here? Yeah, I think you have to look at, first of all, I don't want anyone thinking that the Rockless committees are, are a bad system. They're an excellent system. And just to give you an example, last week when the doll had risen, there was an Oireachtas committee sitting to talk about the quality of water. Um, it had farmers representatives in, it had environmental representatives. So they do very good, worthy work that, as you said yourself, 90% of the time we don't notice because we don't have somebody famous in front of them or, or whatever. And they do very good work there. They scrutinise legislation. They ask questions. They hold senior department officials to account. And that's all great. But when you put a star in front of them, um, I, you know, it struck me was, for example, there was one politician. It took them four minutes to get to a question. They had a five-minute slot. Um, you had other politicians who started by welcoming the witnesses, even though they've been welcomed 15 or 16 times. And you had people then who were asking the same question over and over again, expecting a different answer. And one of the things that Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly did very well, from the time of their opening statement, they squarely laid the blame at RTE and they more or less stuck to that line. And what was maddening was that politicians weren't taking the chance to actually, well, can you explain that to me a bit more? How do you think that happened? Go through a line of questioning and listen to the answers and interrogate the answers that they've actually heard rather than answering a question themselves or on a couple of occasions um, making comments or observations that were designed to annoy the witnesses and might be very interesting and might get a reaction but to the ordinary punter, the taxpayer, the person like you and I watching didn't actually add anything to our knowledge in terms of what the hell happened in the first place. In terms of a list you've made of things that got in, got in the way of effective interrogation, things like grandstanding, anger, explanations of questions before any question got asked as well and you said bizarre claims that maybe were unrelinked unlinked to the issue at hand. I mean, if you do that in a workplace hearing, 
you'll be quickly shot down and told that's not admissible here or that's not part yeah. of this process but yet it seems to happen at this level you do have come up with kind of five steps and five things that people can do in order to improve these committees and indeed any similar situation where maybe somebody is going to be interrogated like that uh, take us through those five points yeah there's five I mean and, and the list is not exhaustive but first of all and, and I do have some sympathy on the first one because the politicians had pointed out they got a lot of the information late in the day so I would you know temper that by saying still need to do your research and focus on what you don't know or don't understand and don't base your questions on your beliefs or hunches premonitions or something you heard somebody tell you in the pub base it on the facts and details in front of you that's the first thing the second thing is don't tell me why you're asking me the question just ask me the question don't don't you know don't leave don't back into your question drive into your question as we say keep them short listen to the answers and when you get an answer if you need to clarify ask a short clarifier there was a couple of politicians particularly the quieter ones were very good at that you know listening it's like you know if you ever you know when you were a teenager maybe came in late and your mother or father was sitting at the kitchen table no no tell me exactly where you were tonight and who were you with and who was there so that kind of line of questioning that shows you're really paying attention and the answers matter Um, try and keep emotion to a limit Um, a lot of politicians got very angry voices were raised fingers were wagged and I would say that that's performative rather than performance enhancing. It gets you noticed, but it doesn't actually add to the question. And then the final thing is, don't ask a question for the sake of it. And I think we saw one line of questioning uh, where we ended up discovering that a man who used to work in Cadbury's marketed chocolate. That was and the legitimate... It brought, it brought a giggle and it a brought laugh a giggle. too. And, and, I, and look, I understand, I mean, I understand, you know, it's, it's three hours of questioning, four hours of questioning, committees are tired. But if you don't have anything to add maybe look at going back on, well, the questions we heard earlier, is there an answer I'm not happy with? Can I just get a recap as well? So that's the advice to give them. And also think about, well, what is your objective? What are the key things you need to get across? And one of the things that some committee members did really well, they remembered the evidence that RTE had given and put that side by side with the evidence they were hearing on that day. And that was really, really effective because it showed they'd done their research, they listened and they paid attention. Yeah. And it in itself would represent, uh, you know, a substantial body of work to be able to do that and make that comparative, particularly pretty much in real time, RT were beginning to refute a lot of the claims that, say, Ryan Tuberty and Old Kelly made. So even it, it was definitely a bizarre situation at that. Again, in a workplace context, you wouldn't be put in a situation where you didn't have all the other side's evidence to begin with, too. So... Huge room for improvement there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if they can keep, think about the questions they ask, why they ask them, and listen to the answers and work from there, you're not going to go too far yeah, wrong. But we live in the social media age. TikTok and Instagram count these days, don't That's they? It. And we have an election coming. So Absolutely. never. As I say, paper or ink, uh, paper never refused ink, I think, and social media never refuses a soundbite either. Barry, thank you so much for dropping in this evening as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I'm sure many of you listening are probably were those very people shouting, well, I've got better questions here I could ask instead of, you know, some of the elected members who were who are put in front of these committees. But as Barry points out, they are doing a phenomenal job overall. It's a busy task, you know, being charged with those committees as well as being a local representative too. But uh, it's a different story, isn't it, when some public or well-known figures are put in front of you too. But yeah, certainly the interest that garnered was was massive and definitely unprecedented. And uh, I suppose an outcome of that might be just looking at that system, maybe a bit of extra training and a bit of schooling on how to really get the information that both the politicians need and indeed the public need as well. Uh, Barry, of course, is a, is a senior consultant there with the communications clinic up in Dublin and a local man, indeed a very proud Offaly man. 
and uh, just like myself. Anyway, that's enough. That's it for me for this evening. It has been a, a, a barnstorming show. We've got through a lot again. Joe Cooney is up next to help you relax with a bit of country music from 8 o'clock. I'll be back next Tuesday from 7 o'clock. 083 103 is a text number here. You'll get me on business at midlands103.com with any stories or any ideas you might have for the show. Always like to hear from you. Other than that, stay safe. Keep it real. Talk to you next week.